Good morning, Parkway Church. How y'all doing today? Great. Whether you're gathered at Parkway Port Lavaca, Parkway Lone Tree, Parkway Online, or Parkway Victoria, we are so glad you're here today to celebrate Mother's Day with us and to learn from the Word of God and to worship together. My name is Mike. I'm the senior pastor here, and it really is my privilege week in and week out to open the Bible with you so we can discover the truth of God and apply it to our lives as we live to honor Him. I'm going to begin today with probably a quote that has never, ever been used before to open a Mother's Day message. So I'm just preparing you. Like, there is a quote coming that is not fitting for a Mother's Day message. It's coming. But the church does all sorts of weird things on Mother's Day, so I think you can roll with me on this. Like, the church might say, who's the oldest grandmother here, and the oldest grandmother would stand up, and she would be so proud, and we would clap and cheer. We're not going to do it today. And then we'd say, who's the mom with the most kids? And we'd say, Anisha, sit down. (laughs) And then we'd say, who's the youngest mom? Which can get really awkward in the South. Who's the youngest mom? No, we're not going to do any of that today. But the quote that I want to begin today's message with is all about the new relationship we have with God. And so here's my completely inappropriate quote to begin today's message. And it's this. On Mother's Day, I want you to know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Welcome to Parkway. See, it's an English proverb that reminds us that when people are stuck in their habits, when people are stuck in their routines, it's next to impossible to teach them a new way of living, to get them to abandon their pattern. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. The Spanish proverb puts it this way. An old parrot can't learn to speak. So if I'm listening correctly, pastor, you just called me an old dog and an old bird. Let me tell you, I'm not calling you an old dog or an old bird because aren't you glad you're not an old dog or an old bird? Instead, as we've learned from the book of Galatians, you are a son or a daughter of Christ. That you are not an old dog or an old bird stuck in patterns that must be repeated in the future, but instead, you're a son or a daughter. You're an heir of God. You are completely new in Christ. We discovered that in week one of this series as we looked at the new identity that we have in Jesus. And I want to remind you that as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are never stuck in the patterns of the past or the patterns of today. You are always called by Christ and empowered by Christ to live a new life that honors him. So we looked week one at the new identity that we have in Christ. We looked week two with Amy Smalley last week at the new relationships we live in and a new pattern of relationships. Well, today... We're going to look at the new family that God has given us. Because God has given us a new family so that we're not just better people, but instead so that we are new creations in Christ. So we're going to talk about one of the great gifts that God gives us when we believe, and that's the relationships that we have within the church, this new family. How many of y'all would say, you know, I need a new family? We had people raise their hand on that for service. I was like, wow, I hope you have a good discussion over brunch. (laughs) But this new family that God gives us is absolutely essential for our life in Christ. Because with a new family, we learn new patterns and we learn new habits. We learn new ways of relating to each other. 
And so today I want to talk to you about five ways that God uses this new family or five qualities of this new family that God has made you a part of, the church, when you believe. And as we look at these five qualities, I hope that moms and dads and grandparents will see these five qualities and say, you know what? I want those same things in my home. I want those same things in my life. If God wants it in his global community, the church, if God wants it in his family, the church, then he wants it in my family. He wants it in the church that gathers at my dinner table. He wants it in the church that watches Netflix at my house. He wants it in my house like he wants it in his house. So the first quality we want to look at of the new family that God has given you and the new family that he's building in you. First, it's a spiritual family, and you can fill in that blank. It is a spiritual family. This new family that we're a part of is a spiritual family. And knowing that it's a spiritual family leads us to engage and to encounter each other differently. This spiritual family that God has placed us in, the church is more than just a social club. Because in a social club, if somebody crosses a line or blows through a boundary, you just roll your eyes. But the church has an altogether different purpose or function. The church isn't just a service organization like a fraternity or a sorority that you're a part of. It is a spiritual family. And one of the new practices that we learn in a spiritual family is that we help each other and we're committed to each other and our growth. Listen to how Paul writes it, Galatians 6 verse 1. Here's what the Bible says. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit, that's you who are believers, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. One of the unique things that the church of Jesus does for you and for me, one of the unique things that this new family does for you and for me is it gives us a place to work on the things that we need to work on. The Bible here says that if we see someone that's trapped in sin, caught in sin, if we see somebody that's ensnared by sin, you who are spiritual, you who are believers should come alongside and help because this is a spiritual family that we're a part of. When Christy and I got married, we got married um, May 25th, 1990-something. When we got married, two families became one. The Hurt family and the English family created a new family. And with that new family came some new traditions. Like Christie's family, they had queso with every meal. Oh yeah. And you know what I'm talking about when I say queso. It's Velveeta and Rotel. They would add some garlic and some onion powder to it. It was just phenomenal. We have dinner. Hey, you want queso? Sure, I want queso. Next morning, pancakes. You want some queso? Of course I do, right? (laughs) New traditions come with this family. We got some new expectations in this family. There were some expectations that were stated loudly, and there were some that were screamed. Those, un, like, the, 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 the expectations that are unspoken are often spoken about the loudest, if you know what I'm saying. But there were expectations. There was new family. Not only did I have a mom now, but I had a mother-in-law, and I had a father-in-law. In this new family, there was growth that would come over the years. Christy and I were far too young to be married when we were married. As I look back now, my kids cannot get married at that age. But you know what God has done over the years? He's brought a family that's flourishing. 
because we committed ourselves and because of those new traditions and the new family and the new life we were living. Friends, as you look at the church, as you look at this new family that God has added to you, this family is here to help you keep your commitments to Christ. This church is here, the the word is to hold you accountable. And accountability means we're going to take you kicking and screaming where you really want to be. That was appropriate. This is timing of the talk. We have a kicking and screaming baby because that's the timing of the talk. Jax is going to be okay. He's going to be dedicated a little while. Seriously, no problem. I'll move along and I won't talk to your baby anymore. Is that okay, Chelsea? Okay, I'm good. But do you realize that the church isn't here just to be a social gathering place. The church isn't here just to be an organization through which we serve, but instead the church is here to be a spiritual family that restores and helps people like you and like me become the people that God wants us to be and the people that we want to be. Second, the church is a caring family. If the church is a spiritual family, it's here to help you keep your commitments to Christ. Second, it is a caring family. Now, don't show by raise of hands the answer to this question. But how many of you were raised in a house that maybe was less than caring? Maybe you know what it's like to be cared for, but you're not sure it's caring in your home. Maybe you know what it's like to be loved, but your house isn't loving. Maybe your house is missing that ing when it comes to living in caring, loving relationships. Well, the church is the place that should model Caring relationships one for another. Galatians 6, verses 2 and 3. Listen to what the Bible says. It says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. I love it. Paul, in both of these standards, says, first, you're a spiritual family, but be careful not to get conceited because you can get trapped by sin, too. Second, Paul says, you're a caring family, so carry each other's burdens, but don't get proud as you do it. You ever think about how your family carries burdens for each other? The stats show that the average mom spends 97 hours a week momming. That's why you're so tired. And that's in addition to your job. That's in addition to your, if you've got a husband and to your relationship with him, that's in addition to the expectations from your extended family. 97 hours a week, momming. That's expressing your care by meeting a need in the lives of your kids. You ever think about how you carry burdens? Yesterday, I had a prime example of someone carrying my burden. I went shopping at Sam's. And they had some amazing deals. And so I bought like a truckload of stuff. But I don't own a truck. <laughs> and so we buy all of this and I wheel it out front. Rainstorms are coming. And I post it on Facebook. Anybody near Sam's? I'm hitchhiking for a truck. <laughs> Ten minutes later, Jesse pulls up. Says, hey Mike, I can help. Throws the Shelves in the back, throws the ice chest in the back, even brings it to the church so that we can have it here and not have to make two loads later in the week. I was like, wow, I feel cared for. In fact, there were a number of y'all that saw my need and looked to meet that need. So thank you, thank you, thank you. For those that saw the need and didn't look to meet the need. (laughs) For those that met the need three hours later, thanks anyway. 
But do you realize the church should be a place where everybody can show their need and we carry each other's burden? Not just the dude with the microphone, but every man, every woman, every child is cared for and loved because that's how God cares for and loves us. Care is expressed in what we say and in what we do. Care is expressed by seeing a need and meeting a need. And one of the reasons that parenting is such a challenge and why it can be, I hear, exhausting to be a mom is that you are constantly caring for other people. You are constantly pouring your life out to benefit someone else. And I just want to remind you today that if that's the new family that you're building in your house, it is so worth it. Keep going to build that caring family. Carry each other's burdens. So the church first is a spiritual family. The church second is a caring family. Third, as we look at the new family in the book of Galatians, it is a responsible family. How many of y'all growing up, and I want to see a show of hands, Port Lavaca, Lone Tree, y'all play along. How many of y'all growing up, responsibility was a high value in the home you were raised? All right. Uh, that's all of us, right? All the old people. All the young ones are like, I don't know. All the old people are like, yeah, that's my house. In my house, responsibility was the key virtue that my dad wanted to develop in me. He didn't care about my spiritual life. He didn't care about my social life. He didn't care about certain aspects of my life. But what he cared about was the responsibility and that I would grow up to be a responsible young man and a responsible dad and responsible man in life. That's what he cared about. I want you to know that as a church family, we value your personal responsibility before God. We've got some corporate commitments that we must live out, but it still calls us to be a church family, a spiritual family that is personally responsible. Listen to how Paul writes it. Galatians 6, 4 through 6. But each one should test their own actions, then take pride in themselves alone, without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, whoever receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. In a responsible family, you are checking yourself first and others never. In a responsible family, you're doing everything you can to carry your own load, realizing that there are going to be times when you can't carry your own load and your family is here to carry it for you for a season. You look and you say, this family is no place for comparison. How many of y'all think you're your mother's favorite? How many of you know that you're your mother's favorite? See, completely different set of hands went up there. We may joke about that at our dinner tables, but do you realize that in the spiritual family, in the caring family that God is building in the church, we don't play favorites. We don't assign blame and we don't compare. Instead, we are all responsible for our own walk with Christ. So very simply, who's in charge of you? You are. Very simply, who do you have control of? You only have control of one person, and that's you. Who am I responsible for? Who can I expect to change? It's me, it's me, it's me, it's me, it's me. When I know that I'm responsible for me and my walk with the Lord, 
then I can be a part of a community that says, you know what, you're responsible for your walk in the Lord. I'm not going to compare myself to you, good or bad, and I'm not going to blame or shame you when you fall short because we are all responsible before God. Let me tell you one of the ways as far as parenting where this plays out. There are some parents that believe they're responsible for both the good and the bad of their kids. And because of that, they have an ownership or an involvement in their kid's life that can be very unhealthy. Let me just put it to you this way. I had a friend years ago say, if I take credit for the good ones, then I have to take blame for the bad ones in reference to his kids. And I loved that perspective. If I take credit for when my kids get it right, then I've got to take blame for when they get it wrong. But in a responsible family, who is truly on the hook for a kid's decisions, good or bad? It's the kids, especially as they teenage, young adult years and, and ongoing. Who is responsible if your child makes a good or a bad decision? Yes, parents, we set a standard and we invest our lives in our kids, but when it comes to ultimate responsibility, who is on the hook? Well, each one should test their own actions. Today's parents struggle with this type of responsibility for children and this type of responsibility in children. There's this, you've heard it, helicopter parents, Parents that fly in and swoop in and solve every problem for their kids. Can I tell you that helicopter parents who are trying to be responsible for each of their kids' decisions, their wins and their losses, that type of parenting is some of the most irresponsible parenting ever exhibited. It's because we're not training our kids to be responsible and we're not equipping our kids to test their own actions. We're here to bail them out and to rescue them. As, as opposed to being a helicopter parent, might I suggest you be like my mom? She wasn't a helicopter parent. She was a sit-on-the-couch parent. Like, I didn't call her on my cell phone or text her and say, Mom, wait, we didn't have cell phones or texting back in the day. Like, I didn't send smoke signals to her and say, I left my project at home. Please bring it to Forest Hills Elementary. And then she put a signal back, sorry, I'm busy. Can't walk to school now. My mom didn't drive. When your mom has a boundary, like my mom with driving, she couldn't rescue me even if she wanted to. Friends, do you realize that that made me have a different perspective on who was responsible for me? It was me. If I forgot a paper, it wasn't mom's job to come and rescue me. If I forgot my lunch, it wasn't my job, or it wasn't my mom's job to come and rescue me. So I came home hungry with some bad grades from time to time. And here's my final parting shot on this. Some of you would look and say, Mike, I can't have my kids either do poorly in school or be upset with me because I didn't come bail them out. Can I just remind you that your care for your kids Part of how you care for your kids is to help them to live in responsible relationships. You know, when I sit at my dinner table, I realize that I am there for them as a parent. They aren't there for me. My kids don't show up at the dinner table to make me happy, though I love having dinner with my family. They're not there so that I feel cared for, though they express care to me a lot. We are at this dinner table because I'm here to care for them. I'm the parent and they are the kids. 
which means that there are some times when the most caring thing I can do is have a teenager that's mad at me as they sit at the dinner table. I am perfectly fine with them being mad at me because my care doesn't come from them. My care goes to them. I'm perfectly fine having a teenager say, I can't believe I can't have Snapchat. You know how many times we've had that conversation? I could Snapchat the number of times we've had that conversation if I had Snapchat, right? I am perfectly fine with my kids not being on every group text that's open and available to them because part of my care is to make sure that they are responsible for themselves and to position themselves to be most responsible that they can be. I'm going to move on now because that wasn't in my notes. That was all free. (laughs) So we are a responsible family, a spiritual family, a caring family, and a devoted family. This is when we began to look at how our family walks with God. And Paul's about to give us an agricultural word picture that's going to show us that the things that we prioritize in our families and the things that we prioritize as a spiritual family, the church, those things that we prioritize, we will experience. And so we look at a devoted family, you would expect that my family would do something far better than, than we do. I speak to lots of people every week. My wife builds small group leaders that do amazing things with kids and children's ministry here at Parkway Victoria. So you would think that when we get home, we have these amazing family devotionals. You could think that. You'd be wrong. I've got a friend in my small group. Every morning before he goes to work at one of the plants, he sits down with his kids, and they have a family devotion every morning. I'm like, wow, I wish I was half the parent of him. When we try and have family devotions, people get, like, mad at each other. Like, we fight. Usually somebody cries. We have somebody that gets gassy. I mean, I'm just keeping it real. This is what happens when we try to circle up and be devoted as a family. But do you realize that the example we set of devotion, the example that we set will be seen and will be lived? Listen to how Paul writes it. He says this, Galatians 6, 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So Paul's picture here, and it's true of, like, if you're, like, never had a child, this verse is true of you. If you've got an empty nest now, this verse is true of you. If you, every age and every life stage, this verse is true of you. What you sow, you will reap, because God can't be mocked. What we prioritize, we will experience. What we do again and again and again and again, the seeds we plant will produce a crop. And so as we look at the devotion of a family, as a Parkway Church family, we want to be devoted to the Word of God. We want to be devoted to great faith because we know that the Word of God is living and active. And we know that it's our faith that pleases God. And our family at home, we want to model devotion to God because kids are going to see it more in our lives than they are in a circle where we're fighting and where we're struggling to get through a Bible passage. Our kids are going to see what we're devoted to. If our priorities are right, we will see the same priorities in our kids. Now, is that a 100% promise, Mike? (laughs) Well, what I sow, I will reap. 
what my kids sow, they will reap. So there's this balancing act that says, I'm responsible for me, but I'm going to keep casting the healthy seed. I'm going to keep casting the good stuff in my family and with my kids because a man reaps what he sows and God can't be mocked. So as you look at this, I just need you to know that the investment that you're making in your family and the investment that you're making in your own personal devotion to God matters. Because when you sow deeds of the flesh, you're going to experience, like, there's a whole list of the, the, the fruits of the flesh. You're going to experience things like anger and rage and lust and immorality. You're going to experience things like bitterness and brawling. You're going to experience all the things you're trying to escape in life. And why? Because you're sowing to the flesh who you used to be. You're sowing to the past. But God says here, I want you to sow seed that produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. What you're devoted to daily will be lived out over the weeks and months and years of your life. So that's why you need a family to support you. That's why you need a new family, the church, to help you, where you do life together in such a way that you cast good seed and you experience the blessing of God. And you've got a friend that can come and help you pull that weed out when you get the seed just a little bit wrong. You've got that friend that can come and help you. Because without a new family, you will live the same old ways. So we've got four qualities so far. We are a spiritual family. We are a caring family. We're a responsible family. We're a devoted family. Last one is this. Fill in this last blank. We are a serving family. As we look at the purpose of this new family, the church that God has placed, you and me in, we follow the example set by Jesus. Jesus said, I have come not to be served, but to serve. When you step into the family here at church, are you stepping in to serve or to be served? When you step into the family, what's your perspective? Are you here to have your need met? Or are you here to meet a need? The number one leading indicator, let's talk about teenagers again for a moment. The number one leading indicator of your teen's spiritual success in the future is whether or not they are serving Jesus as a high schooler. If your child, and you're wondering, are they going to make it when they go to school? Like 80% of kids walk away from the faith when they go to school. Is mine going to be the 80 or the 20? Let me ask you, what are they doing to serve Jesus right now? It is the leading indicator. If kids are serving, then they will walk with Jesus even when they leave your house because they understand the message of Christ. They know that life isn't all about them. They will, they will follow Jesus if they serve Jesus. That's why this summer we're sending our high school kids instead of to a camp where they just have a whole lot of fun and, and, and do activities. We're sending our high school kids to a camp where they will serve in the mornings and do mission projects. And then have all sorts of camp fun. It's going to be an amazing week because we want our high schoolers to know life isn't about you only. You've got something you can share. You've got something you can give. You've got a way that God can use you. That's why we're doing it differently this year because it's the leading indicator of their future involvement with Christ? Are they serving Jesus while they're under your roof? The other thing that's very interesting, you know what the leading indicator is for your involvement at Parkway? 
You know what the leading indicator is whether or not you're going to be someone who comes a little at a time, some of the time, most of the time, or all the time? You know what your time leading indicator is? It's not whether or not you like the music. It's not whether or not you think the sermon's funny, and it is. It's not whether or not you can get a coffee or a pastry on your way in. The leading indicator is not what you consume, but what you contribute the leading indicator of your future commitment to this church and to your new family that God has given you is your servanthood. That's the leading indicator. People that serve regularly attend and find life and find blessing there. You say, Mike, that makes sense, but let me tell you, there are people that have moved from not committed to fully committed because here when they weren't as committed as they wanted to be, they made a commitment to serve the Lord. Commitment grows on commitment. And so we are a serving family. Listen to what the Bible says here, Galatians 6, 9 and 10. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at a proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So Paul sets the standard high, says every time you have an opportunity, serve others, especially within the new family. Every time you have an opportunity, serve someone else, especially within the new family. And you're going to work hard. It's going to cost you something. But keep going. Do not tire. Do the good work because you will reap a harvest. That's where I look to the parents of preschoolers right now, and I say, that hard work that you're doing, keep doing it. The character development that you're doing with your kids, even while they're young, it matters. Keep doing it. If you want to reap a harvest of godliness when you have a teenager, you better sow a seed when they're a preschooler. If you want to reap a harvest of godliness when they're young adults, you better do the hard work when they're in elementary school and junior high. I mean, to be honest, nobody wants to be with their kids when they're in junior high. But we have to, because their future depends on it. We are a serving family. See, it lays out kind of the chore chart for the church. That we are to see an opportunity and to meet a need every opportunity that comes. You know, there is no more hope than a parent that has a new chore chart. Remember the chore charts? If you're still parenting, you know what I'm talking about. When they're young, it's move the Legos from the floor to the box. When they're getting older, we're going to move the clothes from the floor to the hamper to the washer and dryer. Like, with age comes more responsibility. Like, I, my kids these days, it's, uh, you're going to shampoo the carpet, you're going to pressure wash the outside of the house. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. But the chore chart of the church says, we are all here to serve. And we're all here to do the work that God can use to produce a harvest of righteousness in others. So whose job is it at home to develop a family that is spiritual, that is caring, that is responsible? Whose job is it at home to build a family that is devoted and is serving and not just thinking of themselves? Whose job? Right now, you're all looking at mom. You're all looking away from yourselves and finding her. You're all looking away from you and finding someone else. But can I just tell you, and you know it, It's not just your mom's job to build this house. It's not just your 
dad's job or your grandparents' job to come alongside and to build this house. It's all of our responsibilities in our homes to build these type of families. Just like at church, it's not just my responsibility to build these five qualities into our family. You say, yes, it is, Mike. We pay you to do it. It is your job. Let me tell you, it is all of our jobs as the body of Christ to build families and to build this family into the family that God dreams it would be. So today, I just invite you to make one commitment. I just invite you to commit to the new family that God is building in our church. And I invite you to commit to being a person that says, I'm going to make this family, the church family, and I'm going to make my family at home better for somebody else. Because it's not all about me. I'm going to make this family better for somebody else. Because that's why God has placed me in this family. So you're not an old dog. You're not an old bird. You're a son or a daughter of God. So we can learn some new tricks and we can learn to speak a new language. Let's do it together in this new family that God has given us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the chance to open the word today and to be challenged and encouraged. And God, I pray that you would help us all to take our next step with you. As we pray now, church, maybe you just need to go to God and say, God, here's what I need to work on in my life. Moms and dads, grandparents, maybe you need to look at that list of five qualities that God is building in his family and focus on one of those in your family. Say, God, help me to make our family more spiritual. God, help me to make our family more responsible for our own actions. God, help me to make our family more caring. Maybe you need to choose one of those and make that your goal for the next six months. God, help my family too. As the church prays, if you've never believed in Jesus for life, I invite you to believe and find life today. The Bible says that Jesus is Savior and Lord. He died on a cross and was raised again from the dead to offer life to all who would believe. And if today's your day to believe, you can mark it with a prayer. You can pray. Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner who needs a Savior and that you are the Savior of the world. Thank you for coming for me, for dying in my place and being raised again from the dead. Today, I believe. Thank you for giving me life.